Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. How many know he's risen? He is risen. Amen. Amen. Can everybody just stand to your feet one more time and get your Bibles ready, your iPhone, not-so-smartphone, iPad, whatever device you have. Before we get into the Word, I want to just publicly welcome everybody who's joining us on live stream We truly believe that this message is going to impact you. Do us a favor and share it with a friend. I believe that this this little nugget of truth that I believe a couple days, I don't have a lot of verbiage for it. I just know that there's so many nuggets of truth in it. And I just, I pray that when this message is done, your life is going to be impacted forever and your heart is going to burn for Jesus until he comes back. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. If you can just... uh, Hold your Bible high up in the air. Get it ready to go to, I believe we're going to, going to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's my custom to all stand out of respect for God's word. So thank you. Thank you for standing. If you're unable to, do not, do not worry about it whatsoever. But if you can stand, just please stand in honor of God's word. We're going to declare this over our hearts out of the book of Luke, chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 13. I want everybody to say this loud to where the enemy can hear you, okay? Can you do that for me? So loud and in concert simultaneously. One, two, three. This is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant word of God. Today, open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truth. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. How many believe that this morning? Hallelujah. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We'll read through verse 32. Now, I have to publicly apologize for something. I take this pulpit very seriously. The only time I'm not serious, well, 99.9% of the time I'm not serious at all, but that 1% of the time that I'm behind this pulpit, I take it very serious in everything that I communicate behind this sacred place. And um, last Sunday, I had given a chronological order of things, so I want to clean that up and correct that. I mentioned that uh, Passover was first, but I was going off of my notes. So this is after Jesus' death, say after. And this is Resurrection Day. But the, the chronological order of things is Palm Sunday, Passover, Resurrection, and Ascension. I think I cleaned that up. I had some questions about that, so I just want to make sure... I clean that up. But this, this particular verse of Scripture, Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 32, is Sunday morning 
or going into the evening. We don't, we don't know exactly the time, but we do know that by this time, uh, there's a couple disciples walking on a road to Emmaus, may, may, possibly for many hours, and uh, Jesus appears to them. This is, so this is after the resurrection, so this is a Sunday morning theme, okay? So it says this, Now behold, two of them were traveling the, that same day, meaning the day of the resurrection, that same day to a, a village called Eumaeus. And now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was that while they conversed and reasoned, meaning about what happened to Jesus, his crucifixion, that Jesus himself drew near went and went to them. Now, Jesus is in his glorified body, so he doesn't look marred. He has his heavenly body. And this is very interesting because they do not recognize him. The Bible says, this, this is a, a really key verse that I'm about to read right now. I want you to pay very close attention. But their eyes were restrained. These guys who knew Jesus. It's like me seeing Rick and not recognizing him. They're familiar with him. They were possibly just feet from the crucifixion when it was taking place, or at least when he was in the praetorium uh, being beaten with, with rods and with the cat of nine tails. But the Bible says that they didn't recognize him. And it says it like this, but their eyes were restrained, say they couldn't see him. They couldn't recognize him. And so they did not know him. It's like many of us Christians today. We know about the death. We know about the burial. We know about the resurrection. We know Bible scriptures. We know what happened to him. We go to church. Well, I know for some of you, at least twice a year, but for many of you, that was like a comedic thing. That was, that was supposed to, you're supposed to laugh. Many of you, every Sunday, now, these guys were churchgoers, but the Bible says they didn't, they didn't know him. They, didn't, they couldn't recognize him because their eyes were restrained. And Jesus says this, I love Jesus when he asks questions that he already knows the answer to. And this is, this is a little nugget. When, he, when you, you start hearing questions in your heart that you know is the Lord, he's not asking because he wants to know the answer. And he says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one of, one of the ones whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which has happened in these days? Speaking of the crucifixion. And he said to them, what things? You know, we do that sometimes. So, you know, you don't want people to know when I met my wife. I didn't want to act like I was a Christian because I wanted to know if she was really one. And then I wore a t-shirt that said, you know, Jesus is my superhero. And then I was, you know, my cover was blown. So Jesus is undercover here. And he said, what things are you talking about? Everything that happened these days. And they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet. Now get that. So he's not recognizing him as the Savior. He's a mighty prophet indeed and in word before God and all the people. 
and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned of death and crucified him. But we were hoping, but we were hoping, hasn't seemingly happened yet, but we were, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Sounds like their hopes are dashed. Many of you in here, your hopes are dashed because you were hoping he did that thing. When you don't understand God's methodologies, you have to just trust him. Besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, a certain woman of our company, it was obviously Mary who arrived at the tomb early, astonished us when she did not, or when they did not find the body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and who said that he was alive and certain a certain one of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Everybody say he had raised. raised. Yeah, then he said to them, Jesus like got impatient here. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded or explained to them all the scriptures that the things concerning himself. Now, this is really where I want to I want to land here a little bit. It says, then they drew near the village where they were going. Now, watch what Jesus, he's gangster. Like, he's, he's so cool. He indicated to them that he would have gone further. In other words, he's trying to leave them. But they constrained him. They constrained him. I want you to look at somebody this morning and say, once you got him, you better not let go. Look at somebody else and tell them the same thing. Once you got him, don't let go. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening for the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And then they had communion. The Lord showed me. Here, now it came to pass as he sat at the table, we talked about the table in the green room this morning, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Now watch this. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Oh God, did our hearts not burn? within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Amen. You may have your seats. I normally don't give the title out of the gate, but I I want to minister a message that is very important, I believe is the word for the hour, just, just a nugget. But I do want you to repeat it after me, but I want you to repeat it, but I want you to look at somebody else and I want them to ask you and you to ask them. So here's the title of the message. You ready? Does your heart still burn? 
Come on, go ahead and ask them. Don't be afraid of them. Look at them like your heart burns. Even if it doesn't burn yet, it will by the end of service. Just, just look at them. Come on, does your heart burn? You know, generally speaking, uh, most churches will give a message this morning surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. And most, most um, I'm a little bit, I'm not a rebellious, I'm not one of God's rebels, but I kind of kick against the goad. Like I, I know when they say, hey, we're gonna have a resurrection service. I can almost guess, at least get pretty close to either what verse of scripture or I've either heard it preached or something like that. When you hear, I'm not bragging or gloating, but when you hear thousands of sermons and you've heard a lot of Easter messages, I'm, I'm not going to say Easter, resurrection messages, say resurrection. resurrection. Rick's, Rick's going to carry me off the stage if I say that again. You can, you can kind of almost guess. It's, it's normally, you know, either going to be about when Mary you know, when they rolled away the tomb and, and Mary, you know, first discovered him, John and Peter discovered him, talk about the power of the resurrection and the cross, which to be honest with you, we cannot discount that, that, that rugged cross over there, our, our faith depends on that being a reality. The Bible says in first Corinthians, Dean coined it just a minute ago, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15. And this goes for me and goes for us, for, for me in particular in the room, because I'm a communicator of the gospel. I'm a pre preacher of the gospel. It says this, and yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. In other words, the fact of the matter is because Jesus died, our faith is it's real, it's, 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 it's genuine, and he indeed raised from the dead. And I would never want to ever preach a message to dilute that in any shape, form, or fashion. But there's something that's beyond the cross that I want to look at. Now, here's the thing. I hear about this, this, this preaching evolution. Like, we, we already know that Jesus died on the cross. He, he raised from the grave. Now what? But the problem is, is we are to never, as believers, never graduate beyond being at the foot of the cross. Never. Say never. never. Because there's still power in his name. Because he didn't just forgive then, he still forgives your sins now. He still heals blind eyes now. He still has the power to raise up dead bodies. He still has the power to heal broken hearts, to heal broken marriages, to heal every form of sickness. Oh, y'all don't believe that? He still has that ability. So I, I never, I never want dis, to discount any of that, but there's something in this story that, that does not supersede, but it adds to and is applicable to our Christian faith based on what he did that Friday night and what happened come Sunday morning when he raised from the dead. Are you ready to hear it? I started thinking about this. Because these two gentlemen, although we're looking at a historical event on the road to Eumaeus, but I want to suggest to you that every person in this room represents these two gentlemen. Male, female, young, old, doesn't matter. Church goer, you can speak Christianese and have the bumper sticker and the icon around your neck, or this could be the first time you've been to church 
in a year. We can identify somewhere in this message ourselves through these two gentlemen. Now, one of them is only named, which is Cleopas, and we'll get to that. But I, but I, I wonder what was going through their mind. You can almost sense the helplessness in their, in their voice when they're speaking. Could you hear that? that almost like de deflated. They had expectations. And if you walk with the Lord somewhere along the way, if you walk with him long enough, he's not going to do things in accordance to your plan and your will. And you're going to find out really quickly that he's less concerned about getting your destiny done and he's more concerned with bringing you to the foot of the cross and getting you to fall radically in love with him. But something happens to every believer. It might be at the beginning of your walk with him, maybe the middle, and it might be the end. But something will happen where you will question his methodologies. God does not fit in human methodologies. He's God. He can't be contained. He can't, the Bible says that he's not made with temple made with hands. He doesn't dwell in temple made with hands. He's too big for that. He's too big for this church. He's too big for their and me and your belief systems. And what happens is many people begin to stray from the Lord when he doesn't do things in accordance with the way they've kind of figured him out. The problem is you can't figure God out. And he oftentimes doesn't do things in accordance with your timetable nor your preconceived plans because he's oftentimes getting us into position to die to self in our own expectations. And at that point, he can begin to work with you then. Does that make sense? Because far too often the believer gets in the way. <laughs> Look at somebody. I know I'm really serious. Everybody's like looking at me scared. What am I going to do this morning? Nudge him and say, get out of the way. Now, don't move over. Careful, don't hit him too hard. I started thinking about this conversation. Like, I'm a little theatrical, if you haven't noticed that. Like, I grew up in a predominantly African-American church, and I can really thrive in those environments. I like touch people, say amen. I mean, I'm white, and I can do the shuffle. Okay, I'm still working on that, but I, can, I almost got it. Holler, so you can holler this morning. You can shout. Give God glory. Amen. But I, but I get a little theatrical because I really enjoyed movies. I almost got into acting, but I, wanted, I got into ministering. I just fell in love with God's people and his word. But uh, I really loved watching you know, movies growing up. So I have a really Holy Ghost wild imagination now. So I like put myself around them as I'm, I'm thinking about this story. I'm trying to put notes down. Holy Spirit, what was happening in those moments? And I started, I started thinking about what they could have been talking about. Because they're obviously being really honest about Jesus, about their expectations, about what happened. Did you not hear about Jesus? You know, look what happened. Are you the only guy who hasn't heard? Look what's happened in Jerusalem. This guy came on the scene. He's born of a virgin. All he has to do is speak a word. He doesn't have to lay hands like some of the other pastors do. He just speaks a word and blind eyes begin to open. Sick bodies are healed. He didn't even have to walk into the tomb of Lazarus. All he had to do was say, roll away the tomb. I just need him to hear my voice. Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out bound in grave clothes. I mean, this guy had power. Jesus had power. Say he had power. His voice had authority. Just being around him, people would get healed. He didn't even have to declare or even speak it. 
The Bible says there's instances where people would touch the cloak of his garment and virtue would go out from him. Imagine what that conversation looked like. A man who carried such power, did the miraculous, born of a virgin, couldn't even rescue himself off of the cross. Why did we think to ourselves, Cleopas, why would you even think that he would overthrow the Roman government? That's what they wanted from Jesus. This is the reason for their disappointment. You know that, right? It wasn't, they weren't bad that their best friend died. They were in it for what he could do. Like some of us, like where I started. I said yes, not because it was a, just a beautiful cross that oft, offered redemption for God to forgive me. Many of us, we came to him because he can make our lives better. We're going to get through this this morning. Just look straight ahead. But I think about this conversation. Why didn't he even put up a fight? We were in the garden with him. I mean, even Jesus swung on the guy and Jesus told Peter to stop. I'm just being theatrical. Imagine what they're saying. You know, Peter pulled out the sword, cut Malachi's ear off, and Jesus says, put the sword back in your sheath for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. This is not the way to go. Jesus had all power. He could have called legions of angels and stopped them. Look at how we've ended now. We've, we've invested three and a half years of our lives. Now the Roman government aren't gonna be overthrown. Now we have to remain under their iron thumb. Now for the rest of our lives, we are hopeless, done. Our destiny is over with Jesus is gone. Come on, we all feel like that sometimes, don't we? You understand the death, the burial, the resurrection, but you're on your own road to Eumaeus, talking about what could have been or what should have been or how this could have gone and upset with Jesus because he didn't do things the way you thought he would. He didn't save the, let me make it practical. He didn't save the marriage like you thought he would. He didn't heal your body like you thought he would. He hasn't broke through that financial trouble yet and delivered you. He hasn't worked in your timetable. Maybe they were like, I really feel Jesus led us on. I mean, he said, he said he was bringing a kingdom. Imagine this conversation. Are you, with, are you dreaming with me what this looked like? He led us on here. He told us, give our lives and we were going to get a kingdom. Now he's dead. But I love, I love God's, how he's omniscient. He's all-knowing and his methodologies are oftentimes different than ours. And I thought about like the breaking of bread. I thought about your life. Dean, he blesses. Remember how, you know, we take communion? We, he blessed it and broke it. Isn't it funny how he blesses you like at first and brings you in? You get the hallelujah, you're at church like every Sunday for about six months. And then he breaks you. Come on, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to heal you. And he does. He makes the marriage better for a little while. And he does. 
He heals your body. He leads you, he leads you on. Come on, guys, follow me. Look at all the miracles. Look at Lazarus coming forth. Look, look, now I've given you power and dominion over darkness and demons are casted out. Now I've given you power and he leads them into this thing. He blesses them, then he breaks them. And now their hearts are broken on the road to Eumaeus. This is my guesstimation. I thought about this this morning. This is my guesstimation. To me, these guys on the road of Eumaeus, I really believe that this road represented or symbolized a road of backsliddenness. Backsliddenness, say backsliddenness. Why? Because now they've distanced themselves. And if you read the scripture, it says they were seven miles from Jerusalem, the hotbed of everything. It's where they've spent much of their time in Jerusalem. They've, they've distanced themselves. They're seven miles away. This had all just happened. So you know they're hopeless because they left. And seven miles is not like driving seven miles in your car. These guys were on foot seven miles away from the hotbed. So, so everything that they've invested into, now, that, now they're leaving. And always remember this. Distance is always a sign before you backslide. When I don't see people for three weeks, distance doesn't say that people are going to backslide. But I, based on my experience, ministerially, counseling, all of those things, it says this. Now behold, two of them were traveling on the road the same day on the road of Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all of these things which had happened. Distance and disappointment always precedes backsliding from the Lord. Always. Always. Be careful of disappointment in your heart. When God doesn't do in your way, deal with the disappointment quickly. Because here's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting your disappointment. I want you to hear me by the Spirit this morning because I'm, I'm going to really get into this in just a moment. But disappointment is to provoke you to ask questions to the Lord. Do you see how he had to show up and start asking them questions? He wanted a dialogue. When you go through brokenness, when you go through hardship and pain, and when God doesn't seemingly do things your way, it's not to get you to distance yourself from him. That's the ploy of Satan. That's what Satan wants. He wants you to distance yourself from other believers. He wants you to distance yourself from reading God's word. He wants you to distance yourself from serving in the body of Christ. Why? Because if he can get you disappointed, he can get you distanced from Jesus. And this is exactly where they were. Their disappointment that God didn't do it their way, he hadn't resurrected yet, had distanced them from Jesus. They were hopeless. Say they were hopeless. Read what this verse says with me. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, it's the third day since all these things happened. In other words, if this was going to happen, it would have happened already. They were hoping. They were hoping. Say they were hoping. Listen, the reason we get hopeless, church, is because we doubt his promises and we don't understand him. Did you hear what I said? We oftentimes get hopeless when we don't understand God's methods. Do you think Jesus was just asking these questions because he didn't know the answer? What are you guys talking about? He wanted to figure out what was going on in their heart. Be careful how long you leave questions for God in your heart without verbalizing them to him. Because all of us have them. Why did this happen? Why did you let my dad do that to me? Why did you let my mom walk away? 
Why, why did you allow this alcoholism? Why did you allow, come on, am I hitting home? Why, why are you allowing this schizophrenia? Why are you allowing the enemy to torment my family? Why are you, why are you allowing this? Be careful how you, long you allow that to get in your heart. And the only reason Jesus asked the questions because they were the ones that were supposed to initiate it, but they didn't have the courage to. So Jesus finds them on their road as they're on the road to backsliddenness. And Jesus asked them the question, what is this in your heart? Tell me the real reason you're leaving. You don't believe my word. You don't believe my promises. It hurts to wait on the Lord, doesn't it? We don't talk about the pain of waiting. Waiting is painful, isn't it, Dean? Sometimes physically. When God starts asking me questions, or when God starts asking you questions, Look out, because he's not looking for an answer from you. Like he's going to learn something. I remember, I'll tell you this at the end of the service, but um, I'll tell you the whole story. I was in a service, and I was literally in the middle of an encounter, possibly my most, the criti most critical encounter with the Lord I'd ever had. And I was literally in just a few rows back in a church service. And I heard him say this, as cloud as day, for being young, you've, you've preached a whole lot of messages. Been good, haven't they? When he, when he said that to me, I have enough rapport and experience with God to know something was coming that wasn't great. When he starts asking you questions and you know he knows the answer to, look out. Say, look out. Look at somebody and say, look out. And they allowed their questions to lead them away from Jesus. You know, my father was murdered when I was nine. I did not understand that. But holding that in away from God, it just, just made me go off on my own road to Eumaeus. But questions that you have for God, like Cleopas and this other disciple had, they're meant to draw you to him. Don't, don't allow the questions you have, the disappointments that you've experienced, cause you to drift from God and to walk away. They're meant to draw you close to him. God will never create a life where he can will allow you to be independent of him. He will always allow a life, even if it means difficulty, so that he can create dependence in your heart for him. You know why some of you haven't prospered? Because God knows it'll just make you more distant from him. You want money? You want a business? Really? God, God wants to do that thing, and he puts that in your heart, but he wants you to know that it doesn't have you, Robert. He wants to know. You know, when my business started prospering, 21, it took a long time for me to get there, but I wanted to prosper so I could make a great family. And there's nothing wrong with that. Build a family, build a home, white picket fence. He doesn't have any problem with that. But many times when God starts to bless people, they distance themselves from him. So why would God bless you when it will work in reverse? His intention to bless you is for you to come back to him and say, God, I love you. I know if it wasn't for you, I would have never gotten here. I would have never prospered. But the human flesh, so he's got to be able to trust you with success. And many people, see, he loves everybody, but he doesn't trust everybody. And God is looking for friends that he can trust with not just wealth. Because God wants to, there's some of you, I even feel by the Spirit, in, in this room, there's people that God wants to prosper. And I know you're a leader. There's leaders in this room who God wants to bless and prosper 
But the Lord knows that there's things in your heart that he needs to deal with before success comes, whatever that means. You know what true success is? Being close to the Lord and experiencing the richness of his presence. And you know it, you know it. If you, here's how you know you really love him above that thing. Because you will ignore the calls just to spend time with him. You will ignore some invites if you know it would impede on your schedule with him. That's how you know you love him. And he'll give you anything in accordance with his word as long as he knows that the things do not have you. Come on, somebody say amen. Do you believe that? And here's what I really wanted to get to. This is the meat of what I wanted to talk about. Is everybody okay in here? You guys are awfully quiet in this place. Isn't it interesting how Jesus didn't reveal himself until they restrained him? I got a feeling. Let me just read this to you. It says, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated to them that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, Dean. Listen to that. They constrained him, Matt. In other words, don't go. It says he motioned like he wanted to leave. No, that's okay. Like what I do to some of you guys when you invite me. No, no, no. You know, rain check. Jesus was just trying to give them a rain check. Did you ever see that in this, Cheryl? It says that he indicated that he would have gone further. In other words, no, it's okay. I'm not staying the night tonight. No, I'm not coming to have dinner. But it says they constrained him. Say they constrained him. Do you know what that word means? They didn't let him leave. We hear about all these awakenings in churches and a lot of things happening, awakenings or visitations from the Lord. My biggest question is, is why did he leave? You know why? We want God in our lives to come by as a one, one hit wonder, prosper the church, get you the money you need to, bring the church to the next level, and then at that point you don't need him anymore. Make your marriage happy. Make your life happy. Make your husband, wife, kids happy. 401k, everything go right. But they didn't do that. They constrained him. They valued him above their calling. They valued him above their own desires. They, they constrained him. They wanted him near. Because guess what? If you have him close, you have everything you need. And I think this is what the body of Christ lacks more than ever, especially the church. We do not have the nearness that he wants us to have with him. And I got a feeling that we do that throughout our day. We experience people and God encounters that we just, we just pass right on by. And we don't see it as, a, as an opportunity to get close to him, to constrain him. Say constrain him. And they said to him, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with them. It's so funny to me because I think I said this a little earlier is that many of us treat um, Christmas and Resurrection Day as if we're doing God a favor by stopping. I know what it's like to stop by a burial ground. Like as if we're stopping to pay respects. Like thank God, yes, we should all come together and celebrate. I'm not just the pastor, by the way. I'm a little bit apostolic, so I like pull out swords and stuff and cut people. Like not literally. Not literally. 
I'm not picking on creasters this morning. You know what creasters are? Everybody know what creaster? You don't know what creaster is? They show up only on their CEOs? No, creasters. Yeah, they're Christmas and Easter's people. You know, they show up to church on Christmas and Easter. You didn't know that? Look, everybody's starting to get it like a chain reaction. Yeah, yeah, they come once or twice a year, you know, with their family. God wants so much more than that from you. Constrain him. When he comes, don't let him go. Like Jacob, I won't let go until you bless me. But they, they go by like it's a burial ground, like they're paying their respects to Jesus, you know. I used to do that as a little kid. We, we only went to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. I did. I've been there. I've been. We did that, didn't we, Mom? She's shaking her head. We were real religious about it, too. Twice a year. Holy. He doesn't want your visitation. Save your visitation. He wants your habitation. Did you hear what I said? I said it because you might not come back anyway, but you need to hear this. He wants habitation. You know what grieves me? Because my brother knows, my friends know, my, my minister friends in this place know that my heart bleeds for revival. But my biggest question about the scripture is, why did it stop? When God visits a community, when he visits a church, you know what I mean when I say that? When you walk into a room and you don't need to preach, you don't even need to have the music, people are on the floor crying. I'm not talking about just shaking. I'm talking about just overwhelmed by their own sin. They're repenting and they just want to be around Jesus. They want to be around his people. They want to love God with all of their heart. For me, this is the highest euphoric state, if you will, for the life of the believer. And to not have your heart bleeding for Jesus on a daily basis, for me, is like death. I woke up this morning at 4 a.m. I felt as cold as ice yesterday spiritually. I couldn't get in with the Lord. I'm just, I tried to read. I just was feeling nothing. Then I get up at 4 a.m. And I, and, I, and I just, I watched something on YouTube very quickly and I was diving into the word of God. And all I did was read about this scripture. And I saw this scripture that said, did our hearts not burn within us? And I just wept for the next hour. I couldn't read anything. Just feeling God's touch. And many of you are in this place this morning that you've gone to church. Maybe this is your first time in the year. Maybe it's your second time. Maybe, it's, maybe you're here every Sunday. But there are people who are in this room every single Sunday and they have church, but they don't have a touch from him. They don't have a real experience with, them, with him in their hearts. And this is what Jesus is wanting to do for his church. He's wanting to restore the flame in every single believer's heart. You know what I told the Lord? I said, as soon as that goes from my heart, you can take me home. Take me home. If he doesn't come for me, life is not worth living without a touch from the Lord. What does your success lead unto? What then? Some of you are wondering, what happens when I have $50,000 in the bank? I'm going to know that I made it. Well, what happens when you get there? I've been there. 
And it's nothing. There's nothing. An empty heart. And all, your, all, all that happens is your degrees and your goals begin to change and they get higher and higher until you're chasing a mirage for the rest of your life. Not knowing that the calling was never meant to get you success. The calling and the success was something to lead yourself to his heart. It leads to something. He is that something. Did our hearts not burn within us? I want to ask you something. If you had a temperature, a spiritual temperature, and you could put it in your heart, and, and it would indicate to you if you loved Jesus or not, what would it read? Do your heart, does your heart burn within you? Because you know what happens when your heart doesn't burn within you for Jesus? It burns for other things. And you get the thing, and it doesn't make you happy. And then when that doesn't work, you try something else. You try another job. You try another person. You try another career. You try another state. Does your heart burn within you? Don't tell me your heart can't burn. Mine hasn't stopped burning for two decades. God doesn't die in you. If the flame has gone out, it's your fault that you stop putting logs on it to keep it burning. Is this too much? Should I quit? I, lo I love this. Why couldn't they recognize Jesus? This is why, Rick. They couldn't see him. Their eyes were restrained and this is where we miss him. This is, where we don't, this is why we don't recognize him. Because we don't know his methodologies. At the end of the day, we don't know God. Just a year or two ago, that's what I said. David, in the book of Psalms, he would say it. He said, Lord, I don't know you, but I want to know you. To think that you know God is to completely not know him. And what I found out after 21 years, the more I get to know him, the how do I stay humble, low to the ground? How do I stay hungry? How do I keep my heart on fire? Because I keep rediscovering different areas about him that I didn't know. I found him a little bit in some of the successes and I found out he was a blesser. And then another season shifted and I had things taken away from me that I never thought would ever be taken. And I experienced some of the most darkest seasons of brokenness that I never knew. And I thought, I thought to myself, God, why did you leave me? He said, son, I didn't leave you. You said you wanted to know me. Didn't you want to know about how I felt on the cross when people left me? Oh, you're complaining about the rejection, but you just asked me to show you my heart. So let me show you how I felt after his suffering. I read it to you last week. Oh, Theophilus, all that Jesus began to do and to teach, Acts chapter 1, test me. It says, after his suffering, you look at it in the King James Version, it says passion. It's the same word. Suffering and passion, same word. If you learn to suffer with him, and God makes it plain out front. He makes it plain. Dean, can you bring me that cross? Jesus doesn't even make any bones about it. It's not like when you start dating somebody new and they hide all of their dark stuff. <laughs> My brother started dating recently. He said, yeah, we're going to have a meeting. And Okay, I won't say that. I'll tell you what I did. I had a meeting with my, my she wasn't my wife yet. 
And she said, you know, let's, let's talk about it because we don't want to get, in into, get into anything we're going to regret. I said, all right, well, you dump all your garbage onto me and I'm going to dump all of my stuff on you. We're going to lay it all out because we wanted it to work. We really like each, still like each other. I know that's rare <laughs> these days. She's probably, will listen to this eventually. Jesus is not like us. When people meet us, they show you the best. He laid it out right out front. And people wonder, why am I suffering? Jesus didn't hide anything from you. He said, you who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. People will leave you. And you're surprised? Betrayal, suffering, following Jesus is not easy. Broad is the wide that leads to de- to the gate of, of destruction, but straight and narrow is the road that leads to life. The icon of the Christian faith warns you that this is not easy. But this leads to something called eternity in a lovesick relationship with Jesus where your heart burns and it will burn until eternity, until you go home to be with Jesus. Without this cross, you say, well, I might as well not live for Jesus. The only problem is, is one nanosecond after your heart stops beating and you publicly or within your heart refuse Jesus Christ, you will not wake up. You will wake up before the judgment seat of God. And I fear for your salvation. And I don't want to hear those words. You don't want to hear those words. You were a creaster. I'm trying to make you laugh at the same time so I don't hurt you too bad this morning. It's Resurrection Sunday. I have to be a little funny. I don't want to hear those words. You cast out devils. You preached a lot of cool messages. You gave one or two times to the church. You went and mowed an elderly person's grass. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. You never, your heart didn't burn for me. You came for you. You wanted me for you. Nobody wants to be in a relationship with someone else when it's one-sided. Relationship with Jesus is two-sided. You expect from him but he expects from you. You know what he expects from every believer? For your heart to burn for him. God makes no bargains. I've heard people, you know, maybe if I just do this, maybe if I just do that, the thing about God, he doesn't make bargains and his price is high. But like Catherine Coleman said, it costs everything but it's worth the cost. It's worth the cost. Suffering is worth it. Isn't it, Dean? It's worth it. The suffering is worth it. The heartache heartache is worth it. The betrayal is worth it. Just keep saying yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So they didn't recognize his methodologies. You can stand up. I want to tell you God's main desire for humanity before we close this resurrection service. Is everybody okay this morning? You look so serious. As a little boy, my mom would tell you, 
as a little, I was just a little tyke, little kid. But this has never left me, never. Maybe this is why all the suffering. God's main desire for you is that you know him. Not to just bless you, to know him. And if you're giving your life to a wayward wife, then God is asking you to stick it out. It's because he did the same thing, Hosea, that you might know him or vice versa. The wife who continues to pursue her lover who looks in the other direction, welcome to Christianity. You expect God to fulfill your desires? He's been waiting on his to be fulfilled for 2,000 years. Loving a bride who's looking in the other direction with his arms still stretched wide. His desire is that we would know him. Say that I might know him. John chapter 17, verses one through three. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is right before the crucifixion. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. I love that he said that. Glorify your son? Suffering? Glorify? He said, glorify your son. Why didn't he say crucify? Because that's what he meant. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh. Watch this. That he should give eternal life to as many you have given him. You have given him. And this is eternal life. Are you ready what eternal life is? That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What was Jesus' goal beyond the resurrection? Yes, to save. He is first, Reinhardt said this, Reinhard Bonnke, he said, Jesus is first and foremost a savior, but I say his second is that you may know him. That you may know him. And I want to ask you this morning on this resurrection Sunday, do you know him as just somebody who died for your sins, a historical figure? Or is he confined to your Sunday morning one hit wonder? Do you know him? Do you know him? I've been spending the last years of my life bleeding because I just, I just want people to know him. Some don't know him when he walks in the room. They don't know the tangible touch of his presence. They don't know him because they don't know how to love. If Listen. If you knew him, you wouldn't need to fight back with your mouth. If you knew him, you wouldn't be stuck on drugs and alcohol. You wouldn't. If you knew him, if you knew him, you can if you know of him. But I said to know him. If you knew him, you wouldn't have to fight for your reputation. If you knew him, you wouldn't have to fight for the love of other people because you would be satisfied in him. You wouldn't have to fight for other people's love. We fight for other people's love because we're meant to have love. But the only one who can satisfy the deepest part of your being is the love of God. For God, according to the word of God, is love. Do you know him?
you can know him and be suffering. As a matter of fact, it's the best way to get to know him. He wants to know you, he wants you to know him as Savior. And listen to this to cause your heart to burn. I want you to pass out communion if you can. I want he wants your heart to burn for him for the rest of your life. Just lay your hand on your heart. Are you okay this morning? Is your heart burning? I pray, I pray, I would give my life to see my generation, the day I'm living in, to just see people's hearts burn for the Lord, be hungry for him once again. I long for the day. I long for the day to come into a service when people are already pacing these floors, crying out to the Lord with tears on their faces. I long for the day we don't have to wait till you know, 10.30 to start the service because not that I don't care about the place being full. That's, that's not the goal. It's about people's hearts being full of God. I long for that day, Mom. Long, I long to see. He said, if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, then I would come. before any revival takes place, before a real awakening. We've been preaching about, all of us preachers talk about awakening, revival, all of this stuff, yes. But can I tell you what precedes that is burning hearts. God will never come where he's not welcomed. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Oh, but if we hunger and if we thirst... It will come in such a radical way and change the trajectory of our lives, our families, our church, our nation, and our nation needs it. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Can we put that up on the screen? It's the last verse I believe of what I submitted to you I believe it's verse 31 through 33 or 32 and it says and when they drew near the village where they were going that he indicated that he would have gone further but they constrained him saying can I have one of those saying abide with us for it is toward evening Thank you, Lord. I just, I just, I just got a download. Are you ready? It says, he said, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Jesus warned the disciples of that day. Daniel Kalinda said this, if the disciples were in the last days, we we're in the last minutes. And this is what Jesus said in the scriptures, not just here. He said, the hour is coming when no one can work and evening is coming. He was speaking spiritually. 
there's coming a day when we may not be able to meet like this. There's coming a day maybe when you have to pray in your home. Abide with us for it's towards evening. The day is far spent. If we look at the nation and see where it's going, the hour is late. The hour is late. You cannot afford, and I cannot afford not to burn for Jesus. We cannot afford it. You cannot afford to pour your life into the successes of this world. All the while you go to the judgment seat and watch them burn like chaff at the throne. All of your works, your career, your 401k, not that those things aren't good, but it will burn like chaff at the throne. All of your works, all, everything that you pursued, it will not withstand the eternal fire. The only thing that God will judge you for is the temperature of your heart and the way that you lived for him when, you, when your heart stops beating. Does your heart burn within you? Listen to this. Somebody say the night is far spent. That's what God is saying to us. It's getting late, Dean. It's getting late. Do you understand what I'm saying by the Spirit? It's getting late. Now is the time. They say today is, now is the day of salvation. If you haven't given your heart to Christ, you give it to Him today. This is not an altar call right now. The day is far spent. And it says, for it's towards evening and the day is far spent. And then he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass as he sat at the table. Say the table. He sat at the table with them. Jesus is in his resurrected body. This is sitting with Cleopas, the other disciple, on the road to Eumaeus after the resurrection. And he took bread and he broke it. See, there's so much in this scripture. This is a communion. This is really what it is, the road to Eumaeus. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. Everybody break the bread. Why did he break it? Because it represented what he did on the cross for you and I. He broke his body for you so that you could be whole, spirit, soul, and body. So he broke it, and he gave it to them. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Then, then their eyes were open. If you do not fully understand what he did those 2,000 years ago, your eyes will never be opened. This is the most critical part of Jesus. Is his sacrifice for you and I. Your heart cannot burn unless your eyes are open to him. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. Is that verse up? And they knew him. Do you want to know him? And he vanished away from their sight. And they said to one another, did our hearts not burn within us? An indication that Jesus is with you is when your heart burns. 
I told my wife this. She laughed at me. I said, I wish I could live in church. She won't let me live here, but she said, I have to go home. I was in four and five, six services a week. I don't know why he doesn't show up like that at home, probably because he wants me to come to church. You know, it's something different when we corporately get together and we talk about him. Did our hearts not burn within us while he walked on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Come on, just hold that bread high up in the air. Lord, as we close this service, I pray that this coming to the table would not be a one-time event for any of us, Lord. I pray that this is something that we'd practice on a regular basis because it is a stark reminder and it's in accordance with 1 Corinthians where you said, do this often in remembrance of me. It's what you said, Lord. This bread represents your broken body that was bruised, broken, marred beyond any man where your entrails were hanging out. They beat you so bad. May this be a stark reminder of what you did on the cross for us. And I pray, Lord, as we take this morning, I pray that a supernatural work would take place in every single person's heart. I pray that their eyes would no longer be restrained if there be any restrained eyes in this place. May our eyes be open to the reality of who you are, Jesus. Make hearts burn for you. Once again. Make hearts burn for you once again. If there's any person before they take this, Lord, if there's any person in here who has a cold heart towards you, as they take this, set their heart on fire for you. Burn out religion. Let them burn in a fiery relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. 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 Does your heart burn? Lord, I pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just heard this as we take this cup that represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Do not take it yet, just yet, just one moment. There's healing in the blood, spiritually speaking. This is just grape juice that represents the blood. But what it does is it purifies. The blood of Jesus purifies. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sin keeps our heart from burning. Sin. Disobedience. It quenches the heart of the believer but the blood cleanses every sin. And I pray this morning, Lord, on this holy day, this holy week that you were resurrected as we take this cup. May the blood of Jesus purify every person from the disease, from habitual sin, from the disease of sin that would keep their hearts from getting on fire. That's what the Lord was saying. He said, sin keeps my people's hearts from burning for me. Deal with every sin. Deal with Lying, deal with our waywardness, our coldness, whatever it might be, Lord. 
deal with our unbelief. That is a sin, Lord. Whatever it is, Lord, let your precious blood. This is what he offered his blood for. Don't be ashamed of your sin. We'll just welcome the blood of Jesus to wash it. Anything that could taint your life, ask him just to wash you with his precious blood. And as he does it, he'll cause your heart to burn once again. Listen, before you take this, I want you to just ask the Lord for forgiveness. Anything coming in your mind before you take this holy cup, just ask the Lord to wash you with his blood. Come on, lift up your voice. You don't have to let your neighbor know. Just, Lord, forgive me. Wash me. And as we take this, Lord, thank you that supernaturally hearts will burn on fire for you. And may eyes be open like the men on the road to Eumaeus. May we see you in the fullness of your glory, in the fullness of the cross, in the fullness of its power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.